Welcome to the Bill. Is this the third installment? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, the third installment of podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, we're still getting our sea legs. We hope we sound better. We'll be more timely. We promise. Um, but before we get into all that, Bill, is it your birthday today? Allegedly, it's. I'm. I'm at that age where I actually have to stop and like subtract this year from the birth year because I don't remember the actual age. But yes. Well, happy happy birthday, Bill. I appreciate that. All right, buddy. We have an insane amount of things to talk about because we haven't figured out exactly what we're doing on this show yet. Where <laughs> if we're going to review, if we're going to preview, if we're going to talk about big things and little things. Um, but so I'm going to start right off because this is the thing I'm the most curious about is now that you are past season previews, you're past the week one stuff, you're past a lot of the conjecture that we build towards. And we've got some answers, not a lot, but we've got some answers. How do you like, what is your week to week look like now that you finished up games on Saturday at the one big game on Monday night? Like how much are you watching game film? Like how, do, how do you break it all down in a seven day span before? Cause like we're recording this on a Thursday morning. We're already focused on week two, but there's, I mean, I have, I still have six games on my DVR that I intend to watch from week one. I don't know what I'm going to do that, but so I can only imagine how that is for you. Yeah, I mean, I basically DVR as much as possible, and then when it gets to about thir- Tuesday, realize this uh, this isn't going to happen. This one's not going to happen. Maybe I'll I'll pull up the box score and just fast forward to like the scoring drives uh, for a certain game, so I'm done with those in like 20 minutes. But yeah, I mean, it just comes down to uh, watching as much as possible. And when when Missouri has a home game, since I go to the home games, it's a little extra tricky. Like this week, since Missouri's going to Jonesboro, Arkansas, for whatever the hell reason, they're going to Jonesboro, Arkansas. Um, that'll allow me more time to watch other games um and i think you know since it's my birthday my wife's making a peach pie on saturday so hey now that's gonna be uh, you know i'm covered all around and that's that's gonna be fun but no it it really is you you watch as much as possible you have the tv going on in the background and then when it's you know when you're done with tuesday writing or maybe part of wednesday you just flip the switch and delete the rest and move on to the next week so uh, for those of you listening I, i want to impart two things one um, we get to do this for a living uh, because we're lucky and we've duped uh, various individuals with money into this uh, shaky arrangement. But we – I know I because I'm always on the road. I'm always somewhere. Um, I, I think I have one weekend off this football season, um, and I will be at a football game when I take it off. Uh, so I, I never get to see these games. Uh, I mean, most people that I see on like a Tuesday or Wednesday when I'm at home in Nashville ask me about a game – that I probably haven't seen, and I do this for a living. It's just sort of the symptom of our job. And also, it's funny that it makes me feel so much better that you do the same thing I do, where it's, I think on, so right now I have not watched any of Texas and Notre Dame, uh, Alabama, Wisconsin, and, oh gosh, uh, I saw one quarter of Boise State and uh, Washington, It's but they're sitting on my DVR. I think there's two others. I'm probably not going to get there. Unless I go back and I work on a specific story about one of those teams, and it's the same as I'm sure everyone else is the same listening where like you have a Netflix queue that you're never going to. It's not like you're ever going to finish everything on your Netflix queue. Right. Or you buy, you know, maybe not buy albums, but like books or or, uh, you know, you rent movies or video games or whatever you're into. And like it just stacks up on you and it becomes this imposing, terrible thing. College football is basically the same thing. The problem is then we go nine months with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> We're like you're at a you're at a total loss to consume everything. 
and still lead any functional normal life for these four months. And then you go through the off season and you, it feels like you have absolutely nothing to, to watch, but it's not like in January, you and I are going to be like, Hey, let's break down the Texas Notre Dame film. Yeah. I'll go through book buying binges where I, um, you know, like, well, these last couple of years I've been writing more about soccer and I've been trying to kind of do the same thing I did with college football, like eight to 10 years ago, where I buy up every, any, every single book that anybody has ever recommended, I buy it and try to read it. And it just means I have 17 books on on my shelf next to my bed that I don't ever get to because I don't read before bed. I pass out. I play on the iPad. I watch TV with the wife and then we fall asleep and nothing ever gets read. So it's good times. It's yeah, good. It's a good spend. It's good a a waste of money. Of, uh, Fifteen college football related books from the summer. New ones, different ones that I've either used like by chapter or the only thing I've read all the way through in the last month is a book on our Bryles because I wrote about Baylor. Um, I, I'm reading another biography for another story I've got coming up. I mean, just, just no time. It's, it's yeah. all insane. It's just that makes me feel better because Bill has this impossible task of of somehow being like an automated response system for any football scenario in college. So like what like break it's Thursday now Monday Tuesday Wednesday is it just all review on what happened yeah, I mean, that's the way the schedule is, is lined up. You know, Monday morning's the first morning tailgate of the week, and it's basically, you know, the capital B, capital S, big story of the week. Um, Tuesday's the numerical, which is where I, be, I talk about any games I haven't really talked about on Monday. And, um, you know, with Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll do those advanced box score stuffs. The rate, the rankings are, are probably, you know, in theory produced by Monday, uh, in a normal week. And so sometime on Wednesday, you flip the uh, switch and you start moving towards same way with rock M stuff. You know, I'll, I'll do a Missouri game piece on Monday, a big staff piece on Tuesday, and then, uh, flip on Wednesday towards, you know, the next teams or the next opponent's depth chart. So Wednesday's the, 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 uh, the switch over day. Okay, that makes sense. Wednesday is actually my day off. Um, okay, so so speaking of moving forward, and we'll touch on some of the stuff that you and I have been doing uh, in terms of week one. But so I kind of want to jump. I want to jump into something, and this is where I abuse the, the function of this podcast, which I will do consistently because I'm not organized. Um, I'm going to pull Bill, and I'm, because one of the, the the game that I'll be at this weekend uh, features a team that Bill is very familiar with. And then also, I, we're we're going to kind of open this up for our mentions on Twitter or however you want to contact us. Um, I would recommend Twitter. I don't think we'll – I mean, email's a hot mess for both of us. But I will be at the Oklahoma-Tennessee game this weekend. It's one of – we were trying to figure this out before we went on the air. Five good games this week? Yeah, probably. Depending on how you think about Boise-BYU. Yeah, like maybe seven if you stretch it. You know, there's like we were trying to figure out if LSU-Mississippi State is a good game or if it's a game we just don't know about yet. Um, it could be this year's like secret Texas A&M-South Carolina crap fest, but it just happens to be early, so we get excited. Um, I am going to be there. Uh, not to get too inside journalism, which I say that every week. Um, we are going to try something different at SB Nation where I am going to write basically a sort of non what we call gamer, which is like the old school thing that you would read on your paper on Sunday morning. Like so and so threw for 200 yards, the team A beat team B. Here's a here's a you know a quote from the coach. I'm going to be all day long updating SB Nation with photos, with live video, with all kinds of crazy stuff, writing little bits and pieces here and there, talking to fans, going places, getting in the locker rooms. My question before I basically poll Bill on what he thinks about this game is let us know in the mentions, what do you want? Well, I mean, obviously you guys aren't all Oklahoma or Tennessee fans, but 
what would interest you? What do you not like to read about? What do you skip over on Sundays? Um, so I, I just turned this into a focus group. Our marketing department should pay <laughs> me for this. Um, I'm genuinely curious because I'm going to show up in Knoxville at about 10 a.m. and I'll be there until about 2 a.m. And I have no idea what I'm going to do, which is not entirely dissimilar from most of what I do. Um, so, Bill, tell me about what you think Oklahoma is. What I think Oklahoma is. Um what is Oklahoma? Oklahoma is Bob Stute, so salty and pretty talented and loses the plot sometimes. And, you know, in that way, it's kind of a lot of fun when they're when they're doing well. They're really chesty and fun and, and cocky. And when they're doing poorly, they're still pretty chesty and cocky, but they're angry uh, and they're they're mad at everybody for yelling at them. And that usually works out pretty well from an entertainment standpoint. Right now, I think they're actually pretty good. I, I was, uh, you know, I put them in the top tier with Baylor and TCU in the big 12 when I was doing those previews. And I was pretty, as soon as I did that, I was terrified of having done that. But yeah. you know, last week I kind of saw what I needed to see. They couldn't run very well. Cause you know, Akron's got a bunch of Ohio state transfers in the front seven, but, and, and that's a little weird, but um, they threw really well. That was um, really, really well. And, and we'll see if that happens again against Tennessee, but Tennessee gave up a ton of big pass plays. So mm-hmm. this is going to be, this is really interesting. I mean, you know, the, the questions I have for both teams, the other team seems to be able to test that pretty well. So um, this is definitely, uh, if, if, if it's not Oregon, Michigan state, this is the most interesting game of the week for me. To me, it's fascinating uh, because it's two teams that are, it's not a, the cliche of going in different directions is that you have one that is a recognized national power that has sort of glitched these last, I mean, really, I think since the Sam Bradford national title year uh, where they lost to Florida since then, they've sort of glitched in, in terms of having enough, uh, you know, circumstance, talent, scheme, coaching to get back to that point. And then you have Tennessee, which, you know, Derek Dooley era aside has had the pieces so far spread apart to come back to national relevance and has sort of glitched there where there's just, it's either too, you know, it's either a large deficiency on offense, large deficiency on defense recruiting problem. Like we're seeing now more talent than I think in the last decade coming into Knoxville, but it's not necessarily assimilating the way Butch Jones wants it to. There have been a pretty steady amount of off-field incidents to sort of hiccup the depth <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, um, now we're seeing a coach, a coach that has recruiting violations who can't coach. Um, it, it's like they're almost always there to getting back to it, and then one tiny thing sort of keeps them from that relevance. This is a game, just living in Nashville, Tennessee, that he. Butch Jones would be – it's not like a, a do-or-die situation, but he just doesn't have any kind of signature win. He doesn't have anything where the where this very large fan base can sort of beat its chest on, and he's been here a while now. You know, he, they just – they haven't had the, hey, we're back moment, even though they're kind of back – yeah, you know, Michigan State Oregon is the most important game of the week when it comes yes. to title races and everything else. But in terms of narratives, whoever wins and loses this game is going to create like 13 narratives because, you know, this is either the big win for Butch Jones. This is the which, by the way, you know, I, I see them as a top 25 team and I think a top 25 team wins this game. So it's it's just kind of verification that they're pretty good if they win. 
But I mean, unless, you know, OU turns out to be amazing, but, um, but yeah, no, then if, if Stoops loses, then, then Stoops on the hot seat and all that stuff. And if, if Stoops wins, then OU's back. If Tennessee loses, they're never going to win the big game in terms of the stupid narratives that we end up spending way too much time talking about. This is the game that's going to dominate the week. Speaking of stupid narratives, I would, I would point out that if Oklahoma wins this game, uh, I think it bolsters the confidence of, of people like yourself who pick them to be in the same tier as TCU and Baylor. So ostensibly, that means that they would be a Big 12 title contender, which means they would be a playoff candidate. Okay, right. And then on the other side, you have the sort of default setting of, well, you know, if Tennessee wins this game, you, you really like their chances to, in the East, which is a shorter field. And then if you win the East... Theoretically, you are a national title contender unless you have like two losses or three losses because you're going to Atlanta and the winner of Atlanta ends up in the national title. Yeah. So that's I mean, that's a really stupid broad way of looking at it. But there are, I think there's more relevance around this game than we may want to give it credit for. Well, yeah, I mean, Michigan State, Oregon, we know the we know they're good. But there, uh, yeah, that, well, that's a, that is a playoff game. Right. Because yeah. the winner of that sets up to. Uh, I mean, I don't know what, the, what week it is that the first standings come out exactly like off the top of my head, but I mean, that's going to be the best resume win for any team for the next probably three or four weeks. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, yeah, and by the way, God bless them for scheduling it. I mean, it's because it gives us something to like an actual game of relevance between two really good programs that have that has serious national implications and they're doing it really early. Like, I appreciate that. Virginia Tech, Ohio State, I think was sort of supposed to be that. It just right. it's sort of, I mean, when they schedule these games, 80s tell me this all the time. We're like, we think this is going to be great. Right. We, oh, yeah. Absolutely no way of knowing. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's, you know, Buffalo, you know, I can't remember who it was. Baylor or somebody recently, you know, had a pretty crappy home and home that they were trying to hang their hat on because, you know, it was supposed to be impressive when they scheduled it five years earlier and it ended up terrible. I don't think it was. I think Baylor. that was Buffalo. Because I think they made that call during Turner Gill's run. Oh, okay, Baylor Buffalo, yeah. I think um, that. I think yeah. I think there are some of them like that, even with the major conferences, though. Where yeah, a team, the, you schedule a game, it seems huge. Well, I mean, you know, Oklahoma, Florida State, a couple of years ago, that was that was immense, and then Florida State kind of was terrible, uh, or at least wasn't Florida State when they when they played those games. Uh, a couple of years later, that would have been an enorm as big a game as it was supposed to be, but when they played it, it wasn't. So yeah, you're kind of taking a guess there, and and. You know, I mean, maybe this is uh, uh, we we shouldn't be scheduling these things these this far out. I, I still like my own idea that nobody else that never gets any traction at all about uh, like a bracket buster Saturday in early November, um, yeah. where everybody only where everybody leaves a date open and basically depending on your ranking, you get a game there. You know, you do home one year and road the next, where you're paired up with a paired up with a pretty even team, uh, like in week eleven or something like that. And so where we get a better idea, a better feel for teams, how they actually are and get re- actual good games. Now, the problem with the bracket buster idea is that means you are going to also have like Eastern Michigan versus Idaho. But I mean, hey, that means they have, both of those teams have a chance to win a game. So maybe that's good. I love too. that. Idea. The only problem, of course, is that there there's too much consequential swing and revenue that no AD would sign off on. Yeah. <laughs> Can't monetize it. Don't want it. Because, I mean, you could do it in a lot of different ways in terms of, like, um, you wouldn't nobody would agree to, like, one versus two, three versus four, that kind of thing, because that's, you know, you don't want to be eliminated from the playoff when you could be playing, you know, when Ohio State could be playing Indiana or, or whatever instead. 
Um, but yeah, like a, a one versus 22 versus 19, that kind of uh, arrangement where you're guaranteed a good game. And, you know, if Boise state's undefeated and it needs a resume boost that that's their chance to get it, even though nobody will schedule them, uh, or at least schedule them, you know, fairly home and home and, and all that. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I love the idea. If I, once I'm named college football commissioner, that's one of about 26 things I'm going to do on the first day. Uh, but that hasn't happened yet. Not to get off on a ditch, but uh, especially because it feels like an off-season topic. But I'm I'm all about pushing the media bias towards on-campus big games. I mean, you go back, you get on YouTube and watch that damn Clemson Georgia opening. Oh, yeah. a couple years ago, we were watching that at work a couple of days ago because they were doing something similar for Virginia Tech on Monday night. Nebraska Miami. I will be at. I'll be in Coral Gables next week. Not a great game by either stretch. <laughs> was but when it was scheduled, I remember when the announcement was made back in well, like oh nine, and you think like oh wow okay cool like little eighties nostalgia. That's awesome. I will continue to support those games. I will support. Uh, I will support at Oklahoma Tennessee. You know. If only because, and I don't need anyone to explain it to me because I wrote the explainer this summer on why this <laughs> happens. We didn't get to see LSU and Wisconsin play in Death Valley, which it, to me is or it, Camp Randall. Right, that's criminal. It's criminal. I mean that that's why we do this. That's why we're able to maintain some sense of like self worth when you argue with NFL fans. Is is all the other terrible terrible stuff just underneath the surface of this game? There's emotion, tradition, environment, and atmosphere. And so, yeah, I'll, man, I'll ride for those games always. I mean, that's, if not Oklahoma, Tennessee this weekend, you know, and if not, you could talk about this, I think the shortest turnaround possible for two teams of importance to play each other on campus, that Michigan State Oregon deal got done just a couple years ago. They knew going in they were both going to be good when they played each other, and that's why they did it. It's one of the great progressive things that Oregon and Michigan State have shown other ADs is, hey, you don't need six years of lead time. They saw the playoff coming. They correctly anticipated that strength of schedule and non-conference scheduling were going to be two huge factors. Hello, Baylor. <laughs> and they did something about it. It's not impossible. And you don't need to go play in an NFL stadium to get it done. And, and, and most importantly for the people listening who have any hand in athletics – they're going to make money. They made <laughs> money off those games. It is possible to do that in your own stadium. Yeah. Right, the, well, uh, the thing I try to, and I'll, here's how I tie it back together. Sort of the thing I, I try to tell myself about the neutral site games is it gives us games. We wouldn't otherwise get at all. So it's, you know, it's, it's like a better than nothing kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, there, I mean, so many of the atmospheres, like, I mean, you can get like a, you know, as a Missouri guy, when, when, you know, Kansas or Illinois was even slightly viable, getting them in St. Louis or I mean, Kansas city or St. Louis, uh, was amazing. You know, that Oh seven, Oh eight, Oh nine, Missouri, Kansas games. And a couple of the, the Illinois games where Missouri was, or where Illinois was actually viable. Those were intense, really fun atmospheres. Yeah. But yeah, like the season opener stuff, Auburn Louisville wasn't bad, but you know, you are just basically, cr- but like Alabama, Wisconsin, you're just kind of cramming two teams into a stadium that yep. they don't have any relationship to. And that's better than nothing. Otherwise we wouldn't have seen Alabama, Wisconsin at all, but you know, and by the way, uh, before we move on Alabama, Wisconsin, we will never know because there's, there's too much. Um, I think, I don't know if there's any way there, there's a public records access on that to find out the entire financials. I feel confident in saying that this year they may have broken even on that. 
a lot of Alabama fans I talked to, and a lot of people in the Alabama press corps have said that it was just not greeted with the same enthusiasm as like an Alabama Florida State would be. Yeah. Which is, I think, next year in Dallas. Uh, next year, they, I thought was Alabama USC. That's right. It's, yeah. I'm sorry. It's Alabama USC next year, and they just didn't go. Wisconsin's not going to travel that aggressively early on. Now, if you if you put a bowl together in the cold weather months, and yeah. you know Wisconsin's playing in Orlando, they're there, man, for sure. Awesome fan base. They're going to travel. But if I'm a Wisconsin fan and I'm staring at an entire season schedule, maybe I don't know. I live in Milwaukee or whatever. There's, there's, we like. I understand talking to fans. You can't be everywhere because of money and time. What is the appeal of going to a game where? What was the spread on that game, Bill? Ten, ten and a half. I think. Yeah, ten or eleven. Okay, so you're a double-digit underdog. You're going to fly to Dallas, Texas, and stand around in a parking lot in 100 degree heat, and then lose a game at an NFL stadium where you spent 155 dollars a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I get that. I don't think anyone should be blamed other than the organizers. And if you and if you can if you're going to tell me you can't get Alabama and Wisconsin to play each other in any other way, I just don't buy it. So, all right, that's it's, it, I feel like we're stuck in off-season topics even though it is very much <laughs> September. So, um where do you want to go next? We have a litany of Twitter questions. Yeah, um, seriously, that was pretty right after you said that I posted on Twitter that we were going live, the SB Nation College Football uh, account retweeted and suddenly we have a thousand questions to go after so um i will say before we get started on this uh one of the things i wanted to ask you is what do you know about football that you didn't know before spending a week in statesboro georgia last week uh, that it's a cruel <laughs> cruel mistress okay um on. yeah no uh check out the story i spent eight days embedded with georgia southern i think by my count this is the fifth time i've done this with a coaching staff um i've done it previously with vanderbilt western kentucky mississippi state uh i did it with cincinnati last year going into ohio state i've done a couple other smaller ones but um every year i go into these i get to leave with a little bit more football knowledge i think this year the lesson i learned was that murphy's law is very real and sort of powerful uh entity and um you know, I, I grew up a Georgia Southern fan, actually. It's where my parents went to college. I was very familiar with the program uh, based off of the way, you know, we left things last season. West Virginia had uncertainties on defense. They were changing coordinators. They were replacing a quarterback and two receivers. Georgia Southern was sort of this, you know, as I wrote in the story, the Oklahoma wishbone from hell and absolutely eviscerated pretty much everyone on their schedule should have beaten Georgia tech had a bad call should have beaten NC state fumbled the ball really late in the fourth quarter before punching in a touchdown that would have killed it. The only team they, they, they really lost to, they got sort of drugged by was, was Navy that basically just runs a, a better version of, of what they used to run. Thought it was going to be a good idea, Bill. You were sitting in the room when we came up with this idea in March. Um, it just was the wrong game to do. I mean, you, you get to a point too. And, 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 you know, I'm not going to tell tales, but you know, the coaches have a certain feeling at a certain point where like, Oh God, we just opened access for a 44 point blowout that, you know, <laughs> sort of is going to put a pall over the entire season. Not my story necessarily, but just what happened. And so, uh, it wasn't a great week. I've learned that football is, um, especially college football. It's just entirely reliably consistently unpredictable and i don't necessarily mean that in the fun byu hail mary nebraska way 
I really don't. Um, yeah. So I think that's what I learned this time. I, you know, I, there are a couple things, and it's funny you asked me that question, Bill, because I want to do a piece that just talks about every embed I've ever done and the consistency between very different coaching staffs, very different coaches at different phases of their career. There are there are some constants in coaching in a week to week preparation mode that uh, I think people would be shocked by. And one is that I wrote about this in the piece. I had to throw out about 3000 words out of the story because things just didn't happen the way we thought they would. And there were offensive schemes that Georgia Southern had that they didn't use. And, and one of the agreements I sort of enter into, and I don't think anyone would claim this is an ethics violation, but I will write about everything I see. If, if some of the things I see and have written about don't end up on the field, I'm not going to tip the hand of an offensive or defensive coordinator, especially this early in the season. So Georgia Southern worked on a lot of things that just never came up in the game. That includes like trick plays. And I've had that happen. I had that happen in Cincinnati last year where they had two um, really cool looking trick plays that were in their passing tree that just they, they weren't able to pull out against Ohio State because they just never found the right situation for it. They were down, especially late. And I, I had awesome stuff. I just couldn't tell anybody about it. So um, I'm not in the business of screwing over the teams that I work with. I am trying to be as honest as possible. But so the coolest thing that came out of this was um, the defensive coordinator and his staff coaches scour the Internet for any information possible. So all the coach, whatever your team is, where your coach says, oh, we don't pay attention to that. Whatever that is, they are lying. They are paying an immense amount of attention to everything. They found a photo on the Internet of Skylar Howard about to take a, a snap shotgun. It was a tight shot. I saw the photo, and it looked like something that you would see like in a photo gallery, um, either from a team's official website or maybe like a uh, you know, like the, the photographer for your local rival site or 247 or whatever. It, 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 you know, to me and you and everybody else, you wouldn't have noticed this, but the defensive coordinator swore by the position of Skylar Howard's eyes that he was going to run zone read. And, and because of that, he thought, well, they, I think that he, he this is him. He said, I, I think this, you know, really increases the chance that they're going to run him out of his own read, which is something that Dana Holgerson doesn't do really ever. And I remember thinking when he told me this, it was like a Tuesday, it was Tuesday morning. I remember thinking, there's, there's no way this is going to happen. You're wasting your time. That's what I thought. I didn't say this to the guy, but there's no way this is going to happen. Sure enough, they hit like a 50 yard pass. They run down there on the 23 yard line. Shotgun snap, zone read, whole deal, fakes, keeps it, tries to run it in for a trick play to score real fast. They knew it was coming. The, the, so basically the secondary was there. He, yeah, he ended up, like I think, with a 10-yard gain out of it. So it wasn't like they, they snuffed it, but they kept it from being a touchdown, which is what West Virginia loves to do is hit you like fast in succession. It's one of the things I asked you, Bill, last week when I was sort of you know creating all these stats was – you know tendencies and how they and how they work and that's the great thing about doing a show with bill is that now i just get to sort of mine him for information whenever i want so that's what i learned in statesboro um not the best trip so one of the things i'm catching on is i do you know these coach pieces each off season and everything and you can kind of you know confirm or just shut me down right now one of the things i've started to learn is that the Coaches don't get as much time with an actual with the actual players as as maybe you assume they do 
um, in your head. Like, absolutely. It seems like most of the time they are in their own head or they're talking to each other, but then what they communicate to their players when they get a chance or the reps, they get a chance to, to go through with, with players uh, about in different ways seems really, really not as much as I maybe anticipated when I started this a few years ago. It's that's the, again, if I, I don't make this list, it's probably the most frustrating thing is that, and I'm not saying like coaches get it. I mean, uh, some don't care that these kids are students. Some, you know, wish they could dump as much as you would on an NFL team. Like the day to day is the coaches are there at five or six. They're, they're watching film scheming, all that staff meeting around nine back to coaching and scheming based on your position group, whatever you eat lunch, you meet a little bit more, you review things. Kids come in I mean, you're slamming through about anywhere from like 45 to 60 minutes of information based on either like what you're installing that week. It depends on the day of the week. So you've got 45 to 60 minutes of either what you're installing or what you guys did yesterday that you need to improve on. Then you go out and practice. And that's why most most practices now are so frenetic is they're trying to run as many plays as possible in practice, either to simulate their opponent or to have a, a larger variety of play calls on Saturday. And then that's it. You get one or two shots sometimes per practice at a particular play, depending on how it's, it's set up. Then you're at the kids are out of there. The coaches go back. They they basically get if you don't include the physical practice somewhere between forty five and ninety minutes of actually sitting down with the computer screen with all the technology they have, all the cut ups, all the diagrams, and saying, you know, look out for this. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing this. That's why summer is so important, and really that's why. I think the biggest thing about the bowl system is that those extra bowl practices just allow coaches to have the consistency of working on their base schemes. Yeah. I think that's also why a lot of coaches are like, oh, we're in the GoDaddy Bowl. Okay, is our, what, our school sold 7,000 tickets? We're on a Tuesday at 1 o'clock, whatever. <laughs> okay, I, no one cares, but we're going to use these 10, 13 practices we get just to work on our base scheme. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of teams come out and they're so unpredictable, usually for the worse in bowls is they just don't care. They're just using it to work on fundamentals for next year. Yeah. And that's where, you know, like Gary Pinkle will talk about that a lot too, just in that, you know, those, the freshmen getting more reps in December is, is the best part of making a bowl pretty much. And and then of course, you know, they'll, they'll come out and they'll break out like 17 trick plays, which, you know, they didn't do all season. So yeah, you can tell for, for, you know, there are some games where you take the result more seriously, but Mm -hmm. yeah, the biggest part is just getting the reps. It seems. Uh, before we get to questions, um, do you have a schedule in front of you for this weekend? Uh, you probably don't need one because we've acknowledged how bad it is, but I'm curious if there's anything that you're looking for that is outside of that little group of like certifiable good games, and if there's anything trending that you want to watch. Um, well, we'll use this to, ch- to sort of um, move into the questions because uh, yeah. the first question we got was from somebody named Jason Kirk SBN. Uh, who asked know. us what the sixth best biggest game of the weekend is. Um, my first thought in answering that, and I'd have to list them out and I'm not going to do that, but Boise state BYU is enormous. Uh, that actually is probably bigger than the sixth biggest game, but um, 
but that one's going to be really, really big for Boise State's bowl process, or you know, big bowl prospects um, for any sort of. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, obviously, Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill's not going to have a Heisman run now, but any sort of national uh, recognition, this is a very, very good chance for BYU to build on what they did last week. Um, and so that one, I, I, if, if people aren't paying heed to that game, they should because that's going to be that game has a lot of consequences involved. What, when is that game? That's uh, late. Saturday night on ESPN too. So, you know, definitely, you know, you probably didn't need me to tell you to check that one out, but definitely check that one out. Um, I've got, I've got a decent answer. Um, How about Houston at Louisville? Yeah. Yeah. Actually there are games like Houston, Louisville, and honestly tonight, Louisiana tech, Western Kentucky that are kind of, that are sneaky. Good. Lots of storylines and lots of potentially really fun football uh, in both of those games. Uh, I, I like, I like the winner of that game tonight to be the fun conversation piece for a while without having their schedules right in front of me. I think that, I mean, Western is, is Louisiana tech a better team than Vanderbilt? (laughs) I think all around, I think I'm okay saying yes. Oh yeah. Um, Their, their defense isn't as good, but I think in terms of a overall football product, I would say yes. And so if Western Kentucky comes out of that, um, or Louisiana Tech, for that matter. I think they, they end up being the CUSA conversation starter. I mean, I know I'm excluding Marshall, but, it, you know, you're, you're shaping up to have one or two teams underneath Boise slash BYU that are going to talk about sort of playoff bracket buster and that right. kind of stuff. To, to, I don't know if, if this is us losing the forest for the trees because we're nerds, but the, the at-large bid this year to me is, is a really great race. You know, it's Boise, it's BYU, it's one of the three teams I just mentioned in Conference USA. It's still possibly a team like Georgia Southern coming out of the Sun Belt. Memphis. It's it's still absolutely it's still Memphis. It's still Cincinnati. You know, there's there's a collection of teams in each one of these conferences that actually has a really good, I think, con, you know, conversation starter about being included in and not. I'm not saying the playoff four unless it's an undefeated Boise, maybe. And then their schedule provides a lot of problems there, but it's good football. You know, it's fun. It's fun, like tier two watchable games. And so, yeah, like you look at Houston and Louisville and here's my selling point on Houston and Louisville. (laughs) It's week two. I know that you're not satiated college football viewer from one weekend. Okay. You know, week one wasn't that great either. I know that you're going to watch anything that that the television tells you. I mean, like game days ended. Watch that. There's nothing else on. There's literally, I mean, it's really bad until until mid afternoon, as usually is the case. So, so yeah, fire that game up. Yeah, the other, uh, and this is an ESPN three game, so it's not necessarily feasible for some. But uh, the twelve thirty Eastern Appalachian State Clemson game. Uh, I don't think Appalachian State's like a top 60 team or anything, but I kind of want them to prove that they're not. I, I think they're going to be pretty solid in the Sun Belt. And, and Clemson, uh, I mean, as long as Deshaun Watson's healthy, Clemson's too good here. But I'm curious about that one. I'm At least I'm expecting Clemson to win comfortably, but I, I kind of expect to be entertained for a while, too. Also, I mean, I get accused of this a lot, especially because the last three stories I've pitched at work this week have all been involved with like the train wreck aspect of college football. It's like, <laughs> hey, this team is so bad. Let's go find out how bad they are. Um, and there's a lot of that this week. There's a lot. I mean, yeah. if that's if that's what you're into, you got Washington State at Rutgers oh. and you got Memphis going to Kansas. 
And you've also got UCF at Stanford at, uh, well, in our time zone, 930 at night. So I'm just saying, you can watch, you can watch any of those games <laughs> after three or four stout beverages. Take away what you need to and enjoy it. Yeah, this, this week's numerical on Tuesday was just basically me giving a bunch of teams stern looks. Like, come on, Stanford. Come on, Texas. And, you know, it was kind of fun, but it also felt like piling on because everybody else was doing the same thing. Yeah, and that's the that. And to me, I feel like it, it, that's why college football season to me starts in like a week and a half, where you just have a larger amount of information, and you're not still carrying over some of the crap that we almost have to invent ourselves in the off season. Uh, by the way, another number five candidate. Don't laugh. Temple at Cincinnati is going to be a really good football game. Oh uh, yeah, good good offense versus good defense. I'm excited to see that. Um, but no, it's it's not the best week in the world. Uh, any other? Uh, what, what, uh, let's go with the next question. Uh, the next question is, if Vince McMahon were an athletic director, how many years before his school got hit with the death penalty? I'm going to go with zero. <laughs> I'm going to Okay, go ahead. Zero, because what has Vince McMahon done or doing that a great, successful athletic director at a top program hasn't done? So really, you're saying infinity. So you're saying he would I'm saying never. he has a really illustrious, successful career for 20, 25 years in a major institution. And it look, having a unique perspective on this, having worked in the professional wrestling industry, I mean, I'm trying to think of the worst things that Vince has done and then combine that with the fact that he's, I mean, he basically hid most of that from the government, which is, <laughs> I mean, an inept legislative body that's going to try and investigate you. Like, that's essentially what... Jim Trestle did at Ohio State, you know, like, I mean, and at least in that example, they found him out, but there's probably five or 10 or 15 or 20 more that are just like it. So I say, I think he skates. I think he does great. Yeah, that was going to, I was going to say infinity or undefined or however we want to put it, because yeah, I think he's, you know, and this, this allows me to see into one of my favorite topics. Um, It's amazing how much Steve Patterson has grossed me out at Texas, considering he's an athletic director, considering part of being an athletic director is being kind of scuzzy and, and gross with money. He has managed to gross me out and, and make every other athletic director in the country seem kind of okay to me. And that's, that's a massive accomplishment. So congratulations. Congratulations to him. I mean, by season's in, and I, I don't have any shot and fraud for Texas whatsoever. I think Austin is one of the greatest cities in America, and I, one of my best friends is a Texas fan. I don't really care one way or the other, but it is going to be the quintessential interstate traffic collision rubberneck by the end of the year. I mean, this is the thing that you slow down to a snail's pace and be like, oh, my God, like, how do you even jackknife a tractor trailer into a set of oak trees 30 feet off the ground and then also spill chemicals into like the nearby pond that poisons all the children? I mean, this is going to be so bad and not so much. I don't think Texas and here I'll bounce this back to you in terms of what you think the Notre Dame game shows for the rest of the year. But I don't think they're going to be necessarily that level of bad all year. But when you combine that with like one of the most hilariously inept like uh, uh, PRIQ athletic directors I've ever seen. Like the, the you know the news this week with the band yeah. or or like taking out an ad to congratulate Jordan Spieth and then pulling it out of the golf team's budget. Like this this happens reliably about every ten days now, where he yeah, just does something insanely stupid. Yeah, he is a cartoon villain at this point. It's amazing. Um. By the way, I do appreciate only uh, from what I can tell, only one person making fun of me misspelling podcast in the tweet. Nice. I apparently spelled it podast. Um, 
Oh, I think that's an that's a pretty good descriptor of the way it's been lately. Pretty ass. <laughs> Um, all right. So I'm going to have to start skipping here because we're at what, like 35 minutes already, something to that effect. Uh, let's see. Will TCU's defensive depth hold up after all the injuries and the recent departure of the freshman linebacker freeze? Um, I'm going to assume yes, because Gary Patterson is still the head coach, but this is really starting to push it. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. I think, uh, not enough information to provide a good answer. That's my that's my answer right now for Baylor and TCU. Um, my logic in doing the selection committee for SB Nation was that I had that fourth slot open for TCU or Baylor, but I just said, you know, Baylor in simple terms replacing offense, which is sort of what makes them work. TCU replacing a lot of defense, which is sort of what makes them work. And then the effort that I saw from TCU at Minnesota was both better and I think a, a tougher environment than what Baylor did it at. at uh, I'm sorry, uh, TCU at Minnesota than what Baylor did at SMU. Um, again, that's just like some kind of faulty logic that I built because we have to make these like stupid calls after week one. But I think in two weeks time, we're going to have a really, really good idea if TCU should have a single digit next to them. Yeah. I, I went with Ole Miss in my fourth spot. Um, because a, I, I like it when teams score like 70 something points, uh, and B, I like reminding people that Ole Miss might actually be good. They might not. And I feel like I'm almost setting myself up to be teasing Ole Miss fans for the second straight year, uh, that happens. Which, which is mean, but they, I, I, they're, they're still there. And you know, that's all, I, that's all I, that's the, that, that was the entire string of logic right there. Take um, nothing from that. I mean, if you're listening to this as an Ole Miss fan, I'm telling you this as an alumnus, I would take nothing from the result Saturday, except for one thing. And that's that historically Ole Miss has never had an offense that, couldn't help but score with a third string even against a bad fcs team right and that's what happened saturday whereas they were i mean i caught part of it on the radio when i was with georgia southern and they had in i think the third or fourth team running back and they were just going off tackle to kill time and he's breaking it for 30 40 yards so yeah that was the take- biggest they couldn't hardly run on anybody last year so the fact that they were able to just consistently push over even ut martin i think was a good sign i you know maybe not a number four in the country sign but right yeah i'm curious about them i'm more curious about them than i was before all right without, you know and without the best left tackle in football <laughs> that's right supposedly um all right so is it fair to criticize or dock teams for soft non-conference schedules but more or less give a pass to ohio state for an overall week schedule this is part one of two Okay. Uh, if so, is it because teams have some control over their non-conference while Ohio State can't do anything about a weak Big Ten? Wow, um, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I kind of wrote about this yesterday a little bit. I think basically, I mean, I, I Ohio State's schedule is weak as hell, and there's really very little they could do about it. They scheduled a really big non-conference game. They, you know, when you have four, if if you have four non-conference games and you go, you know, big power conference team, and I mean, I realize Virginia Tech's not top ten right now, but that's a big game. Uh, two good mid majors and a bad mid major. I, I can't fault you for that at all and so that, that's what they did they got western michigan and niu they got hawaii and they got virginia tech that's good the problem is they drew what illinois uh in in their big 10 west and instead of you know like wisconsin or nebraska to go with minnesota and you know right now penn state's in 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 transition maybe they become good or not but they're not yet um, maybe michigan becomes good but they're probably not yet although uh i think college football's history tells us that michigan's going to win that game just like bo Schimbeckler did their their first year but 
like on paper, it's a terrible schedule. And what were they supposed to do about it? They, they followed all the rules you're supposed to follow. And, you know, the whole point of my, of using advanced stats for stuff like this is you can adjust for opponent and figure out how, figure out how good teams are anyway. So I'm, I can't fault them at all. And it's, it, it, it does. Whole thing, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was going to, the whole thing here is that it's, it's, we're in week one and we're, and they played a good team and we're already in full. Who have they played mode? It's great. That's going to be the narrative for a while. And it's, not entirely accurate in in assuming all factors, but that's you know it's college football. The thing it reminds me most of is John Calipari on television, the, like the four days, five days before Selection Sunday, where he's just openly stumping for like uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, like those <laughs> those bubble SEC teams, because he knows in the long run and in the short term. That you know the prospects of a of a power you know a, a true national title perennial you know monster program like Kentucky is it, you know his their circumstances benefit tremendously from having a strong conference and there's nothing Calipari can do to make those teams better necessarily and I, I don't see Meyer necessarily like going out there and beating the drum for the Big Ten as a whole but they need quality wins and the only way they're going to get them is by the conference sort of rising rising all the boats i talked to jerry donardo about this in the spring and you know he's one of the few guys who's actually employed by the big 10 ostensibly you know by the network or whatever which is which is by the conference who says hey like ohio state is great they're amazing they're the best team in football but that does not necessarily help the conference when you start talking about the conference overall i mean the problem with the big 10 has nothing to do with ohio state beating up on everyone it's that no one has figured out how to build competitive teams at the, in the bottom tier of that conference because all the problems that were it was it's weird the Ohio State goes out solves problems in terms of you know scheming against the SEC having power all that stuff they go out they get a proven winning coach all that stuff they fixed their problem they did not fix the conference's problem so all the things that we were accusing the Big Ten of you know two years ago that that's still there. It's still really damn hard for Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, Iowa to go out and recruit in places like California and Florida and even Pennsylvania. It's still really damn hard for them to find coaching talent that wants to come in, put stakes down, build consistency within a staff. It's really damn hard to figure out. How are we going to get kids when we're so far away, when it's not appealing to come to our campus, when the weather's bad? All that stuff, all those cliches, they still have a lot of truth to them. And so when you look at it now, Ohio State's schedule reminds me of like Kentucky and basketball where it's, you know what? We're going to schedule as aggressively and as, and as high profile as possible where we have the ability to do that. And when we don't, we're going to have to play like a South Carolina basketball team that has an RPI of 305. <laughs> and that's essentially what they have. So they can't control it. I don't fault them for it, but this is going to fall on the shoulders of Jim Delaney. And that's why the satellite camp argument was so important in the off season. That's one of the few things that I didn't kind of eventually get sick of. And we could bring Bud Elliott on here and talk to him about it is you've got to find a way to, to make Nebraska good, good, like good, good. You've got to find a way to make, Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, Iowa, Northwestern, better than like fair to middling. As I, would say I think SEC South. basketball is actually showing uh, SEC basketball and Pac-12 football are showing how the Big Ten fixes this. Make good hires. Like that's even if you can't even if you can't turn Purdue into Ohio State, hire uh, hire a uh, Joe Tiller. 
you know, the, you know, hire, make good hires. That's the, the problem they've had. Um, Tim Beckwin was <laughs> not a very good hire and, um, you know, replacing Joe Tiller with Danny Hope was not a very good hire. And, and, you know, I'm not exactly sure about Daryl Hazel yet. I think it's probably sad that I was actually very encouraged by Purdue by, because they narrowly lost to Marshall. Um, but, you know, they just they have to make better hires. I thought I, you know, I understand that circumstances is part of this because I thought Kevin Wilson was a great hire. I loved him at OU. I thought he brought all the I brought the, the right attitude. He brought a system uh, and everything else. And he's really struggling because Indiana's a really hard job. So you have to make really, really, really good hires. But. At the same time, Oregon just got Gary Anderson. And, you know, Washington State got Mike Leach, and Mike Leach isn't even doing very well because everybody else made good hires too. So you can do it by making really good hires. The SEC basketball is a very good example of that. And the Big Ten has money. They, they, <laughs> you gotta, you got to aim really, really high here, and that's the way the conference improves. I think that amongst when – when I get into the sewing circle of, co- of assistant coaches where we just – I basically say, what gossip are you hearing? Yeah. You don't have to substantiate it. They look at those as dead-end jobs. People are talking about P.J. Fleck taking the Illinois job. Okay, one, it's insanely early for that, and yeah. they just had a, a really strange circumstance in which a Power 5 job is open, you know, the fourth week of August. But why the hell would P.J. Fleck take that job? I think P.J. Fleck is – one reason why P.J. Fleck takes the Illinois job. I think he's crazy. Um and that might well, be a good be crazy reason. at a better job. <laughs> well, I, I mean, maybe I, I don't know if, you know, he, the way that he's crazy, you know, I, I realize that a lot of athletic directors probably might be turned off by the enthusiasm. Um, and so maybe he feels he needs to take a, another stepping stone in the power conferences before he goes to a big job. I, I have no idea. Um, but if, if you kind of get that sent then yeah, because Flex going to recruit Western Michigan's probably recruiting better than Illinois is right now or was. Right. And so that would be, um, you know, as a Missouri fan who likes Missouri being able to get a lot of St. Louis guys, uh, St. Louis guys, not named Zeke Elliott, um, that getting PJ Fleck at Illinois would scare the hell out of me a little bit, but you know, I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know if he would even consider that. Kevin Wilson made an interesting point when I talked to him last year, though. You know, like, why did you take the Indiana job? I didn't know if I was going to get another head coaching opportunity. You know, you kind of when you have a window of time to get a job and you don't know which ones are going to be open or which ones will actually consider you, so you also kind of feel the need to jump when you get the chance. Um, maybe that plays in uh, plays a positive role for Illinois here, but yeah, no, it's it's a really tricky situation. I just they make so much money. They, all we hear about is how they make uh, a lot of money, and and then they go out and hire Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel. Here's the thing: is the last thing I'll say on it. And I don't want to beat it to death. It's a great question, though, and I think it's a huge issue for the Big Ten right now. Let's just say that the like the hot seat rumors are all true. Okay, so everyone you think is going to get fired does. You have you have fifteen, twenty jobs open, whatever. Mike London in Virginia, right? Seems like a fait accompli. Uh, Larry Fedor at North Carolina, maybe, right? Okay, so let's say those two jobs are open, North Carolina and Virginia. I am telling you now, without bias or opinion or any personal investment in any of the programs I'm about to talk about, every coach I talk to off the record will tell you right now that they would rather take the head coaching job at Virginia or North Carolina than any of those potential jobs that are open in the Big Ten. I'm talking about Illinois, if they make changes at Indiana, if they make changes at Purdue, if Kirk Ferentz is somehow unseated in like a violent <laughs> coup, um, any of those jobs, I'm, I'm telling you, this isn't my opinion, coaches are saying, yeah, you go to Virginia, you go to North Carolina. 
It's because of recruiting. It's because of expectation and culture. And, and you know, the ACC doesn't even have the – look, the ACC right now is still trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do about getting network revenue because they have this large, unseemly beast of, like, from Boston to Miami and now into Syracuse. and Like, they don't have a footprint for a network the way that the Big Ten and the SEC do. And those jobs are still considered better. So start figuring out why. There we go. Yeah, no, I, from a recruiting standpoint, it is always going to be hard. But, um, uh, yeah, they just whether your hands are tied or not, the, the way you get the, the conference better is by hiring guys who are going to be able to coach really well, and they haven't done that very well lately. Uh, let's see. What numbers can be used to show why Texas is horrible on offense? All of them. <laughs> oh no, why? Sorry, not 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 that Texas is horrible. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, the why would be look at their line stats. They're terrible. They signed nothing but three, four, and five star offensive linemen, and their offensive line has been terrible for like four straight years. And I think Charlie Strong knew that, which is why he went to such a weird little twisting turning way to hire joe wickline without spending the money on joe wickline's oklahoma state contract which you know by the way texas money there's that again mm-hmm. um the, the the they were being hilariously cheap about this and but anyway um i think he knew that he tried to hire joe wickline because wickline is a very renowned offensive line coach um <laughs> A, his last couple of Oklahoma State lines weren't very good either or as good. And B, he has not been able to figure out what to do with this line at all. And when you've got that and you've got a, a throwing quarterback in a, or a running quarterback in a system that wants you to throw a lot, you can't do anything. They still have no idea what they want to do on offense. And having Jay Norvell call plays uh, isn't probably going to solve that. And it, it is kind of you know, it's a circular thing. You don't, they don't really know what they want to do offensively, but they also don't know what they can do because they can't block or throw. <laughs> so kind of an issue, but yeah, no, they, they that's, I, I hate to pile on Texas, but, but we we've piled on Texas. The only thing I can say about Texas and, and uh, let's move on quick is if you give them, if you give them time, I'm confident he will recruit. I'm confident he, it, it's, it's not like you have someone who's who's sticking and, and, and bearing down and fighting change. Strong is looking for answers faster than anybody right now. My only question is how long are they going to give him? Right. I mean, how, how crazy is this going to get? Right. Yeah, I mean, if if Gerard Hurd were Teddy Bridgewater, none of this would be a problem. Nope. Uh, and he just, he just hasn't found that yet. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Texas has not been able to find a quarterback. It's hilarious. I mean, you know, whether they bring in like three-star, less heralded guys or blue chippers, they all end up bad. It's it's eventually that will change, but I don't know when. Uh, I've got two David Shaw questions. Once one is, is he the worst tactician in college football? And the other is, is he the West Coast Brady Hoke? Um, wow. The first one. I, he just on like Wednesdays or whenever a team actually practices red zone stuff like Wednesday, Thursday are like the situational days. Um, can he bring in somebody else? Can he just bring in like a, a, a new set of three or four guys to come in and, and practice red zone offense for a day and then they can go take six days off because that's they they are just so confusingly bad at finishing drives it doesn't make any sense get to the 20 and they're they're perfectly fine from a tactical standpoint and then they just they either fumble or throw an interception or kick a field goal and maybe miss the field goal uh as for brady hope come on shaw's won a lot of games um yeah i mean it's that that it's i get the joke it is a joke obviously but um, I think this is a case of a coach that's about to have to make uh, some decisions that go against type. And I think they're going to have to um, 
weather this year and then bring in a new offensive mind. I'm not saying they, they abandon the power. I'm not saying they change their overall identity, but they are going to have to modify some things. It's yeah. just, it, you know, it reminds me of when someone as commercially as Bob Stoops over the years has said, all right, we're going to shift our philosophy on offense because that's just, you know, the weather around us sort of dictates that we've got to have, we've got to have some change. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's holding them back. It's held them back for two straight years now. Um, let's see. Will five factors stuff be updated on uh, football outsiders this season? Sort of. I have something that I'm trying to finalize for next week where I basically post Ken Pomeroy style pages at football study hall. Um, hopefully it'll be ready next week to post and it will be really, really cool and awesome. And I want to pimp the hell out of it when it happens, but it hasn't yet. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, nor did amount of, uh, where is my son's hot wheel car that he wants right now? Uh, under the sofa. I'm going to go, um, wedged in the mattress of his bed. Yeah. Like between the, like somehow either like up against the frame underneath the bed or between the mattress and the box springs. Or if you've got one of those TV stands that has kind of space underneath it, it is definitely rolled under there and somehow managed to roll under the cords as well. Yep. So you're going to have to move the whole thing. Yeah. There's no other way. Um, what is a pod asked? Okay. There's another one. Uh, yeah. It looks like we're about done and we haven't quite reached an hour yet. So go us. Oh, I've got one. Uh, okay. I like this. Satter lost rivalry, A&M and uh, UT, Texas, or Nebraska in the old Big 8 schools. And I throw that at you just because you have uh, – you grew up in old Big 8 territory. I, You know, I'm – none of these rivalries are lost. They're just kind of postponed. Um, I'm so tired of talking about Missouri-Kansas. Like there's a, a – the Kansas City Star, one of their more recent hires, he, he does a little of everything um, – if he's bringing up Missouri, it's because he's bringing up Missouri, Kansas, and it's I'm done. It, you know, Missouri. At this point, Missouri has made it very clear that if they're going to play, like they're willing to play, that when they when they schedule like Middle Tennessee, there's a clause in there saying we might move this if a certain Big Twelve school agrees to play us. That's pretty cool. And that they're just going to keep doing that. And if Kansas decides to, you know, that they want to play too. Great, and if they don't, great. And you know, Texas A and Texas versus A and M hasn't been lost at all. They're just—it's one giant internet pissing match every single day, and has been. You know, I don't care about you. Well, I definitely don't care about you. Every single day, we don't actually need them to play. The rivalry is still going. So, um, I, you know, I would say right now with both of those rivalries that you just mentioned, we're not missing anything because there's some seriously lopsided uh, yeah. <laughs> football games that would be played. Yeah, Missouri, uh, Kansas football and basketball. Yeah, the ones off the top of my head that I miss, uh, Backyard Brawl, uh, that, that's the one I always think about just because the level of hate in there is, is just stupid fun. Um, and then the one thing I was going to ask you is uh, let's not talk about Missouri-Kansas. Let's talk about Missouri-Arkansas. Do you feel like that is gelling? Do you feel like it's, it's forming roots and, and you guys can get some good hate out of that? Yeah, I, oh, I, I think they can definitely get some good hate. It just takes time. Like every article that, that's, that's written is a bunch of people going, well, it just takes time and it's not there yet. I mean, first of all, the way you build a rivalry is by playing a lot of really tight, intense games. And so, number one, Missouri South Carolina is actually d- developing quite well in football because every, that's three straight or what, three out of four times that they've played going back to, if you count the Independence Bowl uh, before Missouri moved, three of those four games have been last minute amazing 
not necessarily high quality games. There was nothing high quality about last year's game, uh, but it was intense and weird and and down to the wire. So that's you play with stakes or you have a lot of big moments, and that's how you create rivalries. And you know Missouri and Arkansas fans hated each other already because of like the Doriel Green Beckham recruitment and you know playing each other in a couple bowl games, uh, just waiting in line to get into the Cotton Bowl in 08 made me hate Arkansas fans. So um, nice, you know, it's just it's all there, and it just takes time to to get a really good hate going and and i think they're well on their way all right i tell you what to freshen this topic then because it, it usually comes up in some way shape or form every week let me ask you guys this whatever whoever your team is give me your best sub rivalry and what i consider to be a sub rivalry is for instance when i was at college at Ole miss i was a freshman the year after tommy tuberville gave his whole pine box speech and sort of snuck off in the middle of the night to go to auburn so for the next three or four years auburn Ole miss not a traditional rivalry. Ole Miss's traditional rivals are LSU and Mississippi State. Red hot. It was the game. There was some serious hate. Uh, a couple years later, Houston Nutt leaves Arkansas, goes to Ole Miss. Those games got stupid crazy. <laughs> so give me your best sub-rivalry. Because South Carolina-Missouri ends up being a great game. Absolutely no natural history with those programs whatsoever. But now it becomes a thing, you know. Maybe maybe you're you're trading a little business on the internet with the message boards and what such during the off season with a program that you didn't even know anything about five years ago. Uh, so whatever your team is, give me your sub rival right now. That can change. Uh, I, I can only speak for the SEC just because I experienced so many of them as a, as a sports writer and as someone in the footprint. But like Auburn LSU was the game for a long time in the 90s or sorry late 90s early aughts like that was that was it now that game doesn't really have the same kind of relevance um florida tennessee florida tennessee is the best example i could give um i would say maybe for a hot second right now ohio state michigan state yeah yeah so and, give me that and it's the same deal like how, what are the stakes and how are those games ending how much how memorable are those games and you get enough of those and and boom but yeah, right it's the Big East crested. I would say Rutgers, Louisville, and yeah. like that triumvirate of Rutgers, Louisville, West Virginia. Oh yeah, those games were bonkers. Yeah, no, that's all it takes. So, well, so I believe we are right up against an hour now, and and since we aim for thirty minutes every week, that's always a mighty accomplishment. No, that's a lie. We didn't even aim for thirty minutes this time. We just started talking. Um, we're just happy the mics worked this time. That's that's right, and and I apologize if the sound is still a little weird. Like if you can only hear Godfrey through one earphone, earphone or whatever. But you have to admit, even if that's the case, it's an improvement. What I, if you have issues with our audio? Here's what I would want you to do: once you get out a pen and paper and do the following. Okay, I want you to open up the internet web browser of your choice. <laughs> I want you to go to twitter.com. There's a search function in there. Okay, in the search function, I want you to spell the name. Ty Hildenbrandt <laughs> at Ty Hildenbrandt. Okay. And then I want you to create a tweet that would go at Ty Hildenbrandt and it would say the following uh, Why have you not helped improve the audio for the podcast ain't played nobody? That's it. Just question mark. Don't put anything funny in there. Just be really indignant about it. Okay. Sorry, Ty. I'm not sorry. <laughs> not sorry at all well he, since he's the reason this even sounds a little bit better sorry ty um okay as we leave uh anything that you want to any predictions feelings like what is week two to you in 30 seconds um well week two to me is missouri playing in jonesboro arkansas and i'm still um dry yeah. county oh oh seriously yeah okay even better um 
No, I'm just I'm really excited about Michigan State, Oregon. I'm really curious about Tennessee, Oklahoma, um, and then you know, 13 other things will happen that we don't or we haven't talked about at all, and that'll be fun too. Uh, I think this is the week where there are um, a couple things, about two layers below the surface that uh, may spring up sometime late October that actually started here. So I think there are a couple games under the surface. I can't tell you which ones because we don't know yet where we're going to start seeing teams with uh, new, different, and unexpected identities really kind of start. So that was super vague, covered all our bases, and uh, was totally noncommittal. So that's what you should expect here. Perfect. And next week you'll say, see, I told you. Or exactly. you know, next month, I guess. I should have a talk radio show. All right. Well, we'll um, we'll do this again next week. I think, in theory, we're supposed to be doing this on Tuesdays, and it hasn't really worked out very well like that. But you'll get it at some point next week. Yeah. You know, just uh, be patient. We appreciate. <laughs> we legitimately we appreciate the support. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback so far, and and some of it hasn't been fix your terrible sound, and so we appreciate that. All right. I think we're out of here. Yep. Talk to you next week. <laughs>